0: We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers, and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Now today's guest we've had on before, Isla Orty. she's been on I think number 459. Now Isla is the author of, I think, and I'll ask her in a second, about 15 books. There's quite a few and quite a few technical, really sound technical books on coaching and writing. So we will talk a little bit about that. But anyway, I'm going to introduce Isla. Isla's going to talk today about 10 coaching traits amongst world-class coaches, and I think she's well qualified to do that. How are you today, Isla? I'm good, thank you. Yes, thank you. Good, good. Now, Arley,
1: how many books? Oh, gosh. Well, I wrote um, probably about 10 or 11 for the British Horse Society when I was very involved with the British Horse Society, which, of course, was our lead body, really, um, for education in, in the UK um, in the, yeah, um, 60s, 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. 90s, and, and now into today. Okay, and so I was involved with the writing of their technical uh, education content. And then I moved on uh, more recently to uh, my own um, publications on coaching. I wrote Coaching Skills for Riding Teachers. And then more recently, in um, collaboration with Penny Pollard, um, I wrote uh, the coaching. So, yes, quite a few.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, we had a very informative talk last time, but I know you're going to enlighten us today on the 10 traits. And why did you choose this particular topic?
1: Well, I think um, evolving from the initial uh, interview that that we had where I talked a bit about how I got into um, the profession that I'm uh, that has been my, my life love, really, mm-hmm. then I started looking a little bit more closely at, at you know, possibly what hopefully makes us a good coach, educator, teacher, whatever term you choose to put on it. And there are many, and certainly in the UK, we have lots of discussions about which particular mm-hmm. um role we fulfill but as far as I'm concerned they're all the same and and we are educators and so what what skills or criteria do we have to uh fulfill that that make us hopefully a a good educator and so that's why I started thinking about these particular traits
0: good good now the first one you've got is listening so tell us about listening, how important it is to listen and is there a reason, I don't know if you've got these in any particular order, do we need to listen first before we do anything else? Um,
1: yeah, I, th- I think uh, there probably isn't an order and um, probably through or as a result of this interview, other, other people uh, listening to the interview. Um, may prioritise their own order of uh, the points I'm making. But mm-hmm. if we don't listen, we can't communicate. We can communicate from our point of view, but first and foremost, if you're going to have a good relationship with any pupil, uh, particularly a less experienced pupil, you have to be able to listen And for me, listening is um, a skill. We all hear, or those of us that are fortunate enough to be able-bodied, hear everything, all the sounds around us, animals, birds, music, uh, uh, and that is a huge privilege. But whether we always listen actively, that is a skill. So my husband, bless his heart, will tell you that he hears me all the time. But whether he actually listens to some of the things I say, um, often they go over his head, particularly if it's technical stuff and he's not particularly, particularly actively involved. So listening is a skill that, as, a, as, as an educator, I believe we have to work at and uh, maintain and develop And the more experienced we become, the often the skill of actually listening to our pupil who is saying to us, I'm nervous, or I don't know how to do this, or my horse won't do what I'm asking it to do. Um, And we plow on giving the information that we know may help them to get it better But actually, we're not listening to the key point, which may be, I'm nervous. And so that's what you have to address before you can start giving all the technical information about how to make the horse go better. So it's, for me, a skill that requires active effort in actually listening.
0: Okay. And you talked a bit before, you know, listening, before you get the sound technical knowledge. Why is the sound technical knowledge so important? You know, and I'm asking a little bit because I, you know, I want to know your opinion. I know that technical knowledge is is important, but from your point of view, which might be different to my point of view, um, why is this so important? Well, um,
1: the horse is a very simple creature. He doesn't have the reasoning power that we have he doesn't have the emotional hang-ups that we all suffer from uh he doesn't have the intensity of thought and feeling that we have he is a, he is an instinctive animal that basically moves towards things that don't frighten him and runs away from things that do frighten him and then he is a gregarious animal that likes company and he needs to eat and drink and those are the things that actually drive him um, now in in educating uh, we need to have um, the the technical understanding of the horse as as a creature and then the technical knowledge of what we are trying to train it to do uh whether it's um dressage or eventing or show jumping or racing or whatever it is Um, and then we have to have the skill and understanding to be able to communicate with our rider who is a a different being altogether and often needs or would like to have far more information than the horse needs Um, and therefore we have to have the skill to disseminate how much information to give to the rider or as ourselves to ride the horse with the clarity that the horse requires to understand what we want him to do. Um, And we live in a culture now, or we certainly do in the UK, um, where we must have more training, more training, more training, Um, you know, you you need more lessons and more education and there's this available and that available. And very recently, in fact, two weeks ago, we had um, an international event forum, uh, basically for event riders rather than than dressage or show jumping. But many of us who are what I call multidiscipline trainers go to conferences because they're hugely useful. And the ethos of this conference was not more training necessarily, but better training.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we, we again now live in, a, in a, a culture where there are many, many, many tr- people training about horses. They're training uh, dressage, they're training jumping, they're training good horsemanship, they're training the natural horseman methods, um, there are all sorts of opportunities in uh, the education of, of riders and the training of horses. But it, for me, the crux of the matter is the sound technical knowledge at whatever level your rider is and whatever the aspirations of the rider are and the competence and capability of the horse relevant to the um, aspirations and ability of the rider and that in itself from a coaching point of view or you know from an education point of view becomes a a skill that we uh, as educators must have to keep the information as simple as possible, not over complicated because horses are not deep thinkers and to keep the information as clear as possible so that it delivers training or education for a creature who deserves us to consider his welfare above everything else. He doesn't He doesn't come into this world and say, I'm going to be a dressage horse. I'm going to be an event horse. That's, That's my aspect. That is our aspiration. We must prioritise the horse's partnership with us in terms of his welfare and clarity of understanding. So that's, you know, my link to, to the need for clear technical knowledge. Yep,
0: yep. Now, this desire to pass on knowledge, I would think if someone puts almost a shingle on their door saying, I'm a coach, I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, that that's their job, to pass on knowledge. Tell us a little bit about why this is so important, why you've put this in your team.
1: Well, yes, it's an interesting one and it's possibly a, a slightly controversial one because it's, certainly in the UK, there are educators who um, earn a living because their passion is to pass on knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are... Uh, Many competitive riders, highly skilled and very successful competitive riders, who use teaching, coaching as an additional means to earn a living. And, of course, they bring a tremendous amount in terms of their competitive experience and flair, and many of them are iconic. And therefore, that, that is very aspirational for the people that choose to go and train with them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that their priority is the desire to pass on knowledge. Mm-hmm. Their their priority is to be a top rider. And sometimes the secondary need to earn a living becomes a, a necessity rather than a passion. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and, and you know, I'm I'm very careful about this because there would be the other side where the, comp- the top competitive rider would say to somebody like me who has not ridden around Babington or ridden at Grand Prix, well, you know, you you're not as good as I am because you haven't done it. Mm. But I've done it to a high enough level to then be able to utilize that that practical expertise, if you like, of actually competing against my passion, which is to share the joy and and the excitement that I have always had from horses with other people who want to achieve the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now as I'm moving into the sort of latter end of my career, and people say to me, uh, "Well, aren't you going to retire?" And I say, "Why would I retire from doing something I'm I'm passionate about and I love doing? Yep. And as long as I am able to do what I do and people want me to do what I'm doing, I shall carry on. And if you know, if I can do it until I'm 90, well, <laughs> you know, be wonderful. Just look at the Queen; she's still riding.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. That's right.
1: Yes. You know, I have watched over the years people who teach with no passion. They teach because they're earning a living. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, for me, while I have passion to want to share what I know with other like-minded people, I should keep doing it. And the moment I don't have that passion, it's what gets me up in the morning. That's why I put it in. But it's probably a personal trait rather than a, than a, you know, a, a sort of generic trait, if that makes sense.
0: If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now, have a look, horsechats.com. Now, you talked, when we talked about listening, active listening, you did talk about communication, but would you like to talk about communication just a bit more now?
1: Yes, I mean communication again is is fundamental to uh, what anybody as an, an educator has to do because it's transferring your skill or knowledge to another person or in you know in the case of the, the partnership to another creature, and you know communication comes in in many many forms. Um, I think I put it in because in today's life, the methods of communication between us as uh, human beings is phenomenal. The mm-hmm. uh, fact that I'm talking to you on the other side of the yes. world and, or 12 hours ahead of us, or, and we're talking as if we're in the same room is yep. phenomenal. Yep. And all the methods now of instant communication in many ways are are wonderful because they expand so many things. But our communication with the horse is very fundamental and we forget that at our peril. So, you know, we we again coming back to the nature of the creature, we must feel, we must have have good thought and preparation uh, before our communication through aids, hands, legs, position, uh, voice. You know, we must remember that our communication with the horse is much more simple and basic than the communication that we now have readily available to us in terms of of the highly, highly technical world we live in. And particularly with young people, some of that natural awareness, uh, reading body language, particularly reading the signs that the horse is sending out that he's not comfortable or happy with what you're doing, um, those are often missed because they're not necessarily taught in the way that you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, you learnt to read them mm-hmm. uh, because we live in an instant age. So, I mean, you know, communication is, is a huge, huge subject these days uh, in terms of the advances of technical communication. But then going back to the horse being a basic creature, you know, he, he understands instinct, feel awareness, observation and those are all methods of communication which perhaps are underrated these days or sometimes being
2: lost.
0: Yes, you talked about the ability to read the horse, you've got intuition as your next one.
1: Yes, intuition, I mean, you know, I've I've touched on that a little bit through communication but I, I put it in more with regard to being able to read your pupil, so obviously those of us when we are educating uh, horse and rider together, you, you or one should always be considering the partnership. And sometimes you consider more the horse if the horse is, is is not going in a good way or anxious or tense, and therefore there's more emphasis on the on the horse. But coming back to the initial point of listening it's always important to listen to your rider on the day because even a rider that you know well if they've had a hard day at work or a busy day at school and they've had pressure put on them at school or they've done exams or um from an adult point of view. You know, if they've had a row with their partner before they've come to a lesson or they've um, had a difficult car journey, can come to you um, not in a good state of mind. And without being invasive and a psychologist, you've got to be able to read your pupil and say to yourself, hmm, they're not firing on all cylinders today, or... I haven't quite got their concentration, or they seem distracted, or they seem uncoordinated, so maybe they're tired. And, you know, you you probe a little bit with, uh, tell me about what day you've had, and if they've really had problems, they'll come out. Mm-hmm. And I al- always remember when I was running the riding school, um, and we used to, in the Winter, because uh, we didn't have an indoor school and therefore the light was was limited, Um, we couldn't run children's class lessons in the evenings because we didn't have enough light. So the children's class lessons were on a Saturday and a Sunday. And in the summer, as soon as the light changed, we had long evenings, we used to put all our Sunday lessons into the evening after school Mm -hmm. so that we could start off competing on a Sunday. Hmm. And when we first changed over, every year in March, when we would change over from Sunday lessons to evening lessons, for the first couple of weeks, the children that had ridden very competently on a Sunday, yeah. because they'd bat a day off, and they'd had a lie-in, and they were having a nice day on a Sunday, and they would ride extremely competently on a Sunday. And when you first to a, Tuesday or a Wednesday evening when they'd had a long day at school and they'd perhaps had a difficult day or hadn't done their homework. or they, the, Their riding ability in the first two or three evenings when we changed to summer evenings was awful. And my young instructors used to say to me, why are they riding so badly? Mm-hmm. And I would say to them, because, because they've come from a day at school and this is their letdown and, oh, thank goodness I'm riding, but actually yeah. they're tired, they're not as in, um, mentally switched on, and therefore you have to make allowances for that. And I think often we don't read our pupil. You know, often our expectation is, well, you were doing so so last week, so actually we'll crack on and move on and do something even better this week. And you have to be able to read your pupil. Even a pupil that you don't know uh, it may be people you've never taught before. You need to just be a little bit questioning to find out their fitness, their mental state. Develop a rapport with them, establish that communication with them. And then you'll gradually be able to um read them and help them according to, to their their need and it links to listening.
0: Yes, interesting, you know, about changing from the Sunday lessons to the week lessons. I think it was an interesting observation. And, you know, as you said, you noticed that a couple of weeks, the first few times every year, it's just the same thing yeah. and not, not one particular student, but across the board. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. Now, empathy. You've talked, you know, throughout today and, and even last time about welfare of the horse, reading the horse, the communication with the horse but specifically now tell us about empathy and why a world-class coach needs empathy
1: well again i mean i think you know it's, it's it's developing as a bit of a theme in most of the things i've said really but empathy is is about really caring about what you're working with so obviously we those of us that work with horses love horses Mm-hmm. Why yeah, would you yeah, exactly. otherwise? Exactly. And then you want to imbue that, that caring and that love through the rider. And riders come to you uh, with different aspirations. And, and obviously, the competitive riders are very driven to be the best they can be, which is great. That's what sport's about. But it mustn't ever be at the expense of the horse. And therefore, I think with developing competitive riders, it's important to encourage. And I, obviously, I mean, I've dealt a lot with young people. I mean, that's probably my, you know, my area of expertise in, sure. in terms of youth development. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it's important that youngsters realise that not all horses or ponies will aspire to the levels that they aspire to mm-hmm. and that they must develop an awareness of of a horse's capability and not physically or mentally push it beyond its ability now it's very easy with something like running or jumping in terms of an ordinary athlete because you can either run faster than the person next to you or you can't or you can jump further longer higher than the person next to you or you can't yeah. so that's Um, that becomes self-regulating but that isn't always the case with horses you know the, the rider may have an aspiration to want to be better than the horse is capable of either mentally or physically and that can become a barrier to progress obviously and you can't just say well we'll sell it and get it and get another one because that has connotations in its in itself and Finance and all the rest of it, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but it's it's terribly important that, that a rider learns to develop an awareness of a horse's capacity to do what the rider wants it to do. Um, it again, it w- with jumping, it's easy because they can either jump high enough or they can't. Yes, with dressage training, it can be more complicated because. You know, physically, the higher up the level you go, the more of a gymnast, mentally and physically, the horse has got to be. And sometimes it doesn't have the mental aptitude and certainly it doesn't have the physical aptitude. And I believe that the rider and the coach have a, a responsibility to develop the awareness of the physical and mental capability of the horse. And that, again, comes with reading the horse, reading the pupil, aware of technical knowledge and how much you're asking of the horse Um, comes into fitness and all sorts of things, doesn't it? Yes,
0: yes. And, And I think these, you know, you've got your ten common traits and they link, you know, you talk about one but you're sort of hinting about another. Yeah. Stamina. Tell us about stamina now.
1: Well, stamina is about. I mean, that that for me is definitely about the educator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think my stamina has developed over years um, <laughs> of being in the industry and being in the sport. Um, it is very labour intensive. You no, know, anybody that thinks that Carl or Charlotte uh, never muck out a horse or never have to, uh, you know. Do what I would call the nitty gritty of, of caring for horses. We all do. Yes. Even the top, top riders, mm. you know, on Christmas Day or if there's a staff shortage or if, you know, some, there's a crisis in the yard and, and suddenly they've, they've worked a horse and there isn't somebody to wash it off or walk it off or, you know, they, we all look at the welfare of the horse and look after the horse. So we would never just walk away from the horse and say, well, I've ridden it, so that's it. That's my job done. Yep. And the nature of the industry dictates that uh, sometimes there are unprecedented circumstances that that make the days even longer. Mm-hmm. And you have to have stamina. Now, I, I actually believe that, that stamina, again... Um, obviously it's a physical thing but you can also develop mental stamina uh and and fortunately the older you get the better you get because you you begin to recognize the things that are worth worrying about mm-hmm. and the things that actually don't matter so yes if you're stuck in traffic and you're not going to get to a competition on time it's damned annoying because mm-hmm. uh, you've your entry and you've missed your slot, and it's incredibly annoying uh and very costly to the pocket. But actually, as long as you're all right and the horse is all right, yeah. it really just in the bigger scheme of things. Mm-hmm. You get to a dressage competition, something spooks your horse and it blows up. Actually, it was a dressage competition. It wasn't a life-changing experience where you know somebody was hurt or lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you begin to rationalize the things that are worth worrying about and, you know, compartmentalize the things that actually are not damaging. And then as a result of that, you, you develop a, a stronger sense of what's important and what to worry about and what to work at. And, and that is mental stamina.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: mm-hmm. I am... I am much much stronger mentally than I was when I was 40 and balancing you know running a home and bringing up a child and you know um so yeah I think I think um the mental stamina physical stamina comes from surrounding yourself with people that um are supportive that they understand the nature of you do as a as a profession or as a career. I mean, I, I've spoken a couple of times about my husband, but I mean, you know, I've been married to him for 46 years. He he. I won't say he's non-horsey because that's how we met initially, but he's certainly as non-horsey as he can be these days.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, but he's never ever made me feel guilty about the time I spend with horses. He knows that sometimes I'll be late home because something's happened. I always stays in good communication. I try and let him know if I'm going to be later than I think I'm going to be. His argument for answering the phone is, I don't answer the phone to people I don't know because they ask me when you're going to be back and you never are. <laughs> okay. And I think it is that, you know, it, it's mental, physical stamina of being in an environment where, you're comfortable in your own skin
2: mm-hmm.
1: able to manage the pressure that you put yourself. Because again for me, if you're if you're teaching all day, which I still do, you know, I'll start
2: yep.
1: well I mean I'll start at eight in the morning sometimes and, and finish at sort of, you know, six or seven at night, which mm. is a you know, a long day. Sure. For me it's important that the last lesson you teach is as good as the first lesson you teach. Now you have to do that by managing your well being and your stamina through the day. You can't be starting to flag in the afternoon and God, I've got another lesson to speak
2: mm, mm, because mm
1: your your last pupil deserves the same attention and commitment that you gave your first pupil. Yes. And that that's learning to manage your own well being and, and stamina. So yeah, I'm I'm very lucky and and I count as one of of my, you know, fortunate things that I've always been fairly robust and 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 mentally and physically strong and I
0: I think it's a necessity in this job. Yes. Yes. <laughs> If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Now, sense of humour. Give us an example of when having, just having a sense of humour is going to help you with your coaching.
1: I think you always have to have a sense of humour with horses.
0: Because
1: horses are the best... Well. I won't say they're the most unpredictable animals on the planet, other animals, but horses are unpredictable. Even the best are unpredictable. Um, and, you know, when the chips are down, they can react as horses, and that can be incredibly frustrating. Um, it can cost you a gold medal or a, certainly a top competition. Um, and um, say it, that sense of humor is valuable, but certainly in terms of dealing with, I think, any animal, but certainly horses, um, you have to keep a perspective of humor and frustration and irritation. Um, I mean, I, I have people, particularly young people, who will say to me, why does he do that? <laughs> he was finest. Why does he do that? And I say he does that because he's a horse, not because he's thinking. Right, I'm going to spook at this flower pot, and that'll really annoy her. (laughs) You know, they they just don't think like that. Mm. And I think you know we love them because of it, but they frustrate us because of it. But the frustration is a limiting, it's a barrier to learning, it's a barrier to riding well, it's a barrier to relaxation. Therefore, I always try to encourage people to see the humorous side of it, not not necessarily the funny side of it, but, you know, that's horses, another yeah. day. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And, um, you know, I, I've judged at a regional championship in the the north of the country. I've just come back from York yesterday, and on Saturday I judged for eight hours at prelim level, which is obviously our first level of competition. Um, and you know, one or two horses really let their riders down, and you know, came in and behaved like giraffes with their head in the air. This is scary. Um, and the riders, you know, it's their first experience of a regional championship. And two or three times, I wrote on the bottom of the sheet, "Bad luck, not his day today." Then I put a smiley face or a sad face, and I said, "It's just a dressage competition!" Exclamation mark. Yes. Um Rather than, "Oh, what a naughty horse!" And it was stiff and against you today. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the rider have that kind of feedback they need to have a feed they need to have feedback that reflects the empathy of the person that's judging them and the sense of understanding that poor you we've all been in that situation Um, and and yeah be light-hearted about it Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean being flippant and and sarcastic But it means really keeping the lighter side of what, at the end of the day, is an easy relationship with a wonderful creature. Yeah,
0: yeah. And now you talked right throughout. You know, you've you've just done an amazing job of bringing in. You know, you've got your ten points, but bringing them in and how relevant they are in different situations. The adaptability is the next one. What have you got to say about that? Well
1: in the UK yes. <laughs> it can be I mean we're we're in February and it's about to be the hottest day of the year I think. It's about to be eighteen degrees here on a February day. Okay. Now next week it could be snowing.
2: <laughs> yes, it okay. can. Okay.
1: You know, we we don't I mean I, I'm going I'm gonna to have to talk about weather primarily, but we don't have a climate like you guys have. You know, we suffer from weather.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so if you are not adaptable in this country, you are absolutely sunk. Because as soon as you assume that it's going to be a lovely day and you can do A, B and C, uh, you'll get wet, and, wet um, and you'll find out that, that weather is, is the most inflexible so thing on this planet. <laughs> um I think adaptability is, again, about reading your pupil, reading your horse, having that awareness of what pupil maybe wants to do today, but actually the horse is never going to do it or the other way around. You may have a day when it's blowing a gale, the horse is a bit sharp because he was clipped yesterday, the rider's had a long day at school and is quite tired, and the horse, in the first five minutes, frightens her. Or him, and suddenly, being a straightforward lesson where you're running through a dressage test the next Saturday, you can't do that because you've got a horse that is behaving erratically, a rider that is frightened because the horse is behaving erratically, and suddenly you've got to do a complete turnaround in maintaining the confident rider, sorting out the horse who's being a bit sharp and naughty. And it's blowing a gale and yesterday it was still as anything. So you come to a session with an assumption about what you're going to do at your peril. Mm-hmm. Because each session, doesn't matter where it is or when it is, each session you have to be able to adapt to the circumstances. And last last year, well it might have been the year before, I was doing a a clinic in Finland uh in front of a couple of hundred people and it was about taking a mixed ability group of riders so I had an established level three coach I had an event rider I had uh, a happy you know horse owner and I had a pony rider in a group of four riders Mm -hmm. and the evening before this demo I'd worked with them in the indoor school and I'd run through what I was going to do and I chatted to all of them and I was very confident about how it was going to And on the day, I had 200 people in the gallery. The experience coach was absolutely fine uh, and the event rider was fine. The happy hacker got complete stage fright and shut down completely and just sort of didn't do anything in the way that they, she had communicated with me the night before. And the pony took complete fright having 200 people in the gallery. And I ended oh, up no. with the mother leading the child. Wow. And from my point of view, the whole thing was a complete disaster. But then in discussion with the audience, you know, I had several people who were really kind and said, oh, well, you've just adapted. I mean, you had to do what you had to do and mm-hmm. you couldn't stop doing, you know, FEI." medium level stuff with the pony because it's eyes eyes were out on stalks saying I've never seen so many people in the gallery before and you know I work on the basis that I learn something from every experience I'm in and my goodness me did I learn from that (laughs) and it was extremely you know for me personally when I went away afterwards I thought that's one of the worst sessions I've ever had to do because personally, I felt I'd failed completely on what my remit had been. But actually, I just had to adapt to the situation in hand
0: yep. and keep them all safe. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm, I'm sure the audience appreciated it. I know as you know, someone in an audience myself, I would appreciate things that didn't go well. And how does this person cope with them? So I'm sure they would have learned a lot and, and um their learning would have improved because things didn't go so well and because you're able to adapt.
1: Well, you certainly hope so. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it it was a situation where I just had to get on and do what I could. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right, now the last one we've got is resilience. Okay, Mm -hmm. you sort of talked about that as well all the way through, but what have you got to say in particular about resilience?
1: Well, I think, you know, probably it's always interesting because – the English language has many words for. Um, I mean, we always get into this this uh, conversation at any of these sort of coaching things. So mm. What's being a coach, an instructor, a teacher, uh, in a trainer? Um, and then you go to sort of somewhere like Germany or and they say, Why do you have all these words? This is an educator. Um, so yes. That's what I tend to. Think. But if, if in doubt, always look up in the dictionary and funnily enough I have dictionary but and stamina are probably very similar, they're very similarly aligned but I think resilience stamina for me is, is mental and physical strength mm-hmm. resilience um, is more about perhaps dealing with the perception or the, the observations that, that people make about you as a professional
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how you, you deal with those things. Uh, and again, you know, it, it reverberates with social media and, and um, you know, it, it, people, will always, people will always have opinions about other people. Oh, she's terribly bossy or oh, gosh, she's so opinionated, or, oh, well, you know, um, you can't talk to her because she, she makes her own mind up about something. And, and, you know, for me, again, a, a little bit like uh, physical stamina, mentally resilience is about dealing with, and this is a, 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 probably a personal observation, uh, dealing with the things that fly around and you think, oh, do they really about me, or oh my goodness me, I'm not like that, really. Underneath, I'm I'm completely different. Why do they think that about me, or why have they said that about me? Um, and I think again, you need to develop a um, maybe a thick skin mm-hmm. um, to to some of the observations, opinions that will spy around. Um, through gossip or verbal or occasionally written, and you think, no, that's not really me. Um, And you can either let them affect you badly, which is not good, or you can have two or three trusted people or close friends or family where you bounce things off them and they are truly honest to you. And one of my pet sayings, and, and I think it links to to resilience, is, oh, to see yourself as other people see you. Now, that we all make observations about people that we've never met. Oh, you know, the prime minister, she's a dreadful person, and <laughs> oh my goodness, she, you know, she doesn't dress right, and she's always got a this, and she's always got that, and we make observations all the time about people we don't know and about circumstances that we don't know. And then it comes into the light of day about oh well actually I have met that person and gosh she's really nice and Mm. difference. And it never occurred to me that she could be so pleasant or communicative or um and I suppose it's through the years of being in this industry, Um, and I would go to uh, certainly um, demos or lectures in the UK, and I would stand up to begin with and say, "How many? Lovely, lovely to see so many of you here. How many of you have been to one of my days before?" And there would be, you know, perhaps half the room that would put their hand up. And I would say, thank you so much. I obviously didn't frighten you to death. Please tell the people to put their hand up that I'm not scary and this is going to be an act- interactive day and we're all going to have a great day and everybody laughs.
2: Yeah.
1: And that breaks the ice. Yes. And you then have, you know, later when you talk to people, and I hope I'm quite a good communicator, people will say, Oh, I was really nervous about coming to your day because, you know, I've always thought you were scary. Mm-hmm. And and I say, and you think I'm scary now? No, no, it's been <laughs> really good. And but as soon as you move into a position where you're a fellow of the British, you're a national judge, you're a coach educator, you come with a label. You come with a a list of labels
2: mm-hmm.
1: and People judge you before they know you. Yeah. And and I used to find that really quite difficult because I I used to, we all, we're all the same. We all feel like a lack of confidence when we're out of our comfort zone. We all are in a situation where we want to be liked. We all want to please the people we are working with. Um, and when we feel we haven't, stepped up to that mark we can feel worried insecure upset and I I believe that you you develop a resilience to that again like the stamina by surrounding yourself with people not with people that tell you you're marvelous but people that are honest with you and say well yeah you are a bit scary Isla, and you know you do come across as a bit of a dictatorial old cow <laughs> <laughs> but you know that, that comes with mileage and experience, you become braver about saying what you believe in and what you, you know what, what your values and beliefs are mm-hmm. um, and and you know stand by by the way life has treated you I suppose yeah. so yeah I, I try to be resilient
0: mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> I think you've got, uh, yeah, yeah sort of it's a bit of a personal thing,
2: really. Yeah.
0: yeah. Isla, this again has been very informative. Your wealth of experience, truly. You are a world class coach, so you can talk about the common traits amongst world class coaches. Um, this has been one of those things where you've just got to keep taking notes and come back and say, i just got to listen to that again because if you want to keep improving your coaching, your teaching, your educating, you know, whatever you're doing, I think you need to come back and listen to this again. There's a lot of information in there. Now, Isla, the books. You know, I'm sure that people, now that we've talked about a, a countless number of books because we never really did count. I'm not sure quite how many, if it's 12 or 13 or or 14. More, 14 I, did,
1: I think it's 14 because yep. I decided I couldn't stop at 13. It wasn't the best number <laughs> power of coaching
0: yeah. but there's yeah. going to
1: be another one but it, it's going to be a while i think but it's going to co- it's going to be uh horses for life okay That's um, good. and it's yeah but it's still very much embryonic at the moment but you know hopefully in the next year or 18 months because it is about horses for life
2: mm-hmm.
1: um mm-hmm. and you know we want to um pammy hutton who is is uh um, the owner of Talent Equitation Centre in in uh, Sandhurst, and a world class coach and rider in her own right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we're very good friends, and we we think there's a huge amount that we can um, deliver in terms of horses in the in the 21st century. You know, they are no yes. longer military um, and work creatures. They they a huge role, both in, in obviously competitive life, but much, much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Leisure, uh, rehabilitation of, of you know disadvantaged children, um, rehabilitation of offenders. There, there are all sorts of areas that, that horses now fill a huge role. We're mm-hmm. um, sort of exploring that. And, and the fact that you know our top Olympians, Mark Todd, um, Skelly, uh, Richard Davidson in dressage, um, you know, they, they are still competing at world class level into their sixth decade. Yes. And that again is unique in our sport. So mm-hmm. we're aiming on delivering something on horses for life, yeah. I think. Yes. But lots to research.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I, during part of your research, I talked earlier about the movie called The Mustang. It's set in a um, Nevada prison, you know, and they bring the Mustangs in. So, uh, yeah, make sure you watch that as part of your research. I certainly will. <laughs> it's uh, coming out in New York and Los Angeles, first of all, and then it's going to the UK. So uh, it's going to the rest of the states and then the UK and Europe. So I'm sure if you, if you look out for it, you'll see it. Yep. Now, where can people get these books? How can they contact you? What What's the best way to contact you? What's the best way to get the books?
1: The books are, are available on Amazon. I mean, the power of coaching is on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I think coaching for, for riding teachers is is on Amazon. Um, Quilla Publications are the publishers in the UK, um, which you would fi- you would find by Google Quilla, Q U I L L E R Publications. Um, contact with me i'm on facebook um i regularly update on facebook i've got a facebook page and and, um um so that's probably one of the ways
0: but i think um i think just to have access to the books you know if people need to ask you a question you've got so many and in so many different areas that they could just have a look at the list of books and Get the one that they're looking at with that particular area, and I think that'll probably answer the question. You know, a lot of the times so that they're going to ask you anyway. Yes, I mean
1: many of the many of the BHS books, unfortunately, are now. Uh, well, I won't say that they're, they're, they're certainly out of print because mm-hmm. the the BHS have moved their qualifications sure. into a slightly different, more modern uh, era, and therefore they they've produced up to date um information relevant to the syllabi that they're now following um but i mean my my coaching books are always available through quilla um or on amazon mm-hmm. so you know the the two coaching books which are really the the thing that that i have the greatest affinity towards now okay. um they would on amazon
0: all right, and we're looking forward to Horses for Life. who love to have you back again, love to have you back again, but the Horses for Life, if it's going to be another 12 months, we'd like to have you back before. then, not not have to wait for the 12 months for that book to come out. So hopefully we'll see you again very soon. Oh, well, we'll, we'll huh. see. I mean, you know,
1: I hope that these sort of interviews are, are valuable to some people.
0: and I'm um, sure. Certainly nice to talk to you. Good yeah. to talk to you again too.